Well, hey guys, it is good to be back. Guys, quick shout out before we get started. It is David Bigowet's birthday today. His 21st, and he's with us. DB, all right, I like that. Well, it's good to be with you guys today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff here with our college ministry, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Tonight, we are finishing up our series in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Guys, I'm not going to lie, depressing for me to preach. I can't even imagine, okay, what it's like to be on the other side of it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is dark. That was me for the last three weeks. But we will be starting Colossians soon, which is, oh, just great. So it's going to be a good time. Ecclesiastes 12 is where we're going to be. If you've got a Bible, we'd love for you to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Hey, if this is your first time here at Salt Company, thank you so much for being here. We are so glad that you've come to join us tonight. If it's not your first time at Salt Company, you've been coming all year, thanks for you too. You guys are awesome. So let me pray as we jump into our time together. Father, so excited to gather together to look at your word in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Father, we pray that you would move in a mighty way tonight, that the Spirit of God would be heavy in this place, that your name would be lifted high, that you would be beautiful, not Salt Company, not any of us, but only you. Father, to you be the glory. And just thank you. Thank you that we get to be here. Thank you that we get to take time out of our Thursdays to encounter you. And Father, I pray that every single person in this room tonight would leave this place a little bit different, that you would move in a mighty way, that you'd speak through Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and you'd help us to trust you more. In your name we pray, amen. Have you guys ever experienced the downfalls of wishful thinking? Okay, we've got some optimists in here. You're like, oh, everything's going to be fine. So there's this moment when I was a freshman and I was taking macroeconomics. Oh, amazing. Didn't go to the class. Didn't go to the class at all. Never did any of the homework assignment, never did any of the reading. And I go into the final and here's what I'm thinking, right? I'm like, I know how supply and demand works. Like, this is going to be easy. Like, less stuff, more money. It wasn't, I got wrecked. Okay, so that's wishful thinking. Macro never, who, who knows, who knows how the economy works anyways? I, no one knows. Everyone's like, we're in a recession. I'm like, really? I can't see it. Okay, macroeconomics. Second example I have for you is when you're driving through the barren wasteland of North Dakota. Oh, I know. I love Monty, but that state sucks. So you drive through that barren wasteland and then you miss an exit, right? And you're thinking to yourself, oh, I know Minnesota. You miss an exit, and there's another one like a mile away, except you're in a barren wasteland. So it takes you like an hour and a half detour. You're like, oh, my gosh. That's horrible. I asked Bunce what an example of wishful thinking was, and he said, thinking shoes are good for you. And I was like, what? I even have barefoot shoes. And I was like, why are you so weird? Okay, <laughs> had the thought. That's wishful thinking, right? Going to a macroeconomics final and hoping you would do well when you never studied, wishful thinking. Thinking you'd find a different exit and a detour in the barren wasteland of North Dakota, that's wishful thinking. Whatever Bunce thinks, that's wishful thinking. I don't know, the shoes thing. He was like, what did he say? Think brushing your teeth twice is optional? I'm like, what do you think about in your free time? What a weird human being. Anyways, I love him. Apparently never brushes the teeth. Anyways, that's not important. Moving on. Moving on. Those are the jokes, okay? Let's get into some serious examples of wishful thinking. 
Thinking that lust will no longer be a problem when you get into a relationship. That's wishful thinking. Thinking that you can cheat on your test now and then get into a job and have integrity. That's wishful thinking. Thinking that you'll be faithful to one person for the rest of your life when you're talking to three to four people right now. That's wishful thinking. As it is with following Jesus. Listen, this is what I hear most in college ministry. I've done college ministry enough now to kind of get around it. And time and time again, I hear the sentence, you know, right now, Jesus, he, he's like important to me. But, but I'll, take him follow, I'll take him seriously later. Like when I get that job, when I buy that house, when I get married and I have kids and I finally settle down, that's when I'll take following Jesus seriously. Right now, it's just about living it up. And I'll take him seriously later. That right there is wishful thinking. Barna, a Christian organization that looks at mass data, came out with a study a couple years ago that said if you didn't commit to Christ by 19 years old in America, there would be a 90% chance you wouldn't for the rest of your life. 90%. Think about that. If I gave you 90% odds of anything bad happening in your life, why would you take it? But when the stakes is not just your life, but where you will spend eternity forever, and you are at 90% at odds with that, that's wishful thinking. So tonight, I want to address the most common misconception that I hear from college students all the time about following Jesus, that I can just wait till I'm a little bit older to take following him seriously right now. And I want to show you that there's a better path to your life than wishful thinking, and that's a life defined by wisdom. So as we finish out our series tonight, here are the two parts to my conversation that I want to have with you. If you want to live a life of wisdom, you need to remember your creator. You need to fear him and obey him. Okay, open up your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is what verse 1 says. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moons and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Guys, this book has been so intense. Like, I don't know, man. It's like so dark every sermon. It's like, but you're back, which is exciting. Uh, this is what we've been moving through for the last couple weeks. Ecclesiastes 1, life is meaningless. Everything under the sun without Christ is meaningless. You can try to find meaning in your pleasure, in your possessions, in your power. You will not find it there. And if you do that, you'll look back at the end of your life and say, I wasted on things that didn't matter. Last week we talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the reality that this life is full of suffering. That suffering is the essence of this life. And funerals are better teachers than parties. And tonight, as we close up the Ecclesiastes series, the writer of Ecclesiastes wants to leave us with two simple commands. And the first one is to remember your creator. Now, I want you to understand what he's saying here is he doesn't just mean remember him once. Like remember him and then forget him. He means... If you want to live a life of wisdom, if you don't want to look back at the end of your life and say, I lived off of wishful thinking, what he wants you to understand is you need to remember him daily. You need to bring the creator of the universe and the creator of your life to the very forefront of your mind. You need to remember the creator. Now, this is a simple command, but it's not simplistic because it's thinking hard, okay? Anyone of you guys tried this? It is so hard, all right, to remember your creator, and here's why. Because your mind becomes inundated with other things. 
your school, your sports, your relationships, your future, how much money you have, how much money you for sure don't have, all these thoughts, taking your brain captive. So it takes an active effort to remember your creator day by day. And then he says, in the days of your youth, okay? Haha, <laughs> that's us, we're youths. It's exciting, I know. You're not old yet, but you will be. You will be one day. And then you'll be like, oh my gosh, my body hurts. Okay. Why does he say in your youth? Because your youth are the most formative years of your life. See, what's true is what you decide to be true about you in your 20s will impact your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. And one day, your body will be decrepit. And you'll have to look back and ask the question, how did I spend my life? We're going to talk about Budweiser. Okay, so here's the thing. This is not an endorsement of beer. I'm just explaining the sales process. So Budweiser, they sell beer, okay? And they had sales reps that just went out and like, you know, you know how they give you free product in order to use it more? Here's a rule that Budweiser sales reps had. Don't give any beer to anyone over 30. Interesting. You might be wondering, why? Is it ageist? No. Here's why. They did that because here's what they found statistically. That by the time someone hit 30, they had already decided what beer they were going to drink for the rest of their life. They were going to be Miller Lite people or Bud Light people or if you're like a child, Natty Light. Okay, that's what they were thinking. It's by the time you hit 30, you've already decided who you're going to be, what beer you're going to drink, what future you're going to have. Almost everything in life is that way. By the time you hit 30 years old, you've already decided the type of person you want to be. You've already decided what idols have become the very centerfold of your life. And whether or not you take Jesus seriously in your 20 will heavily depend who you are like in your 30s. See, that Barner research study is not someone's opinion. That is statistical evidence that for this room right here, there are over 500 people in this room. And if you do not make an urgent decision to follow Jesus in your life, 90% of you won't. This week, tonight, might be the most important moment that sets the trajectory for the rest of your life. Follow Jesus, remember him in your youth. And here's why you need to remember him in your youth. is because if you don't remember him, you will fall away from him. Guys, I, again, I sound like I'm a million years old. I'm not. I'm in my mid-20s, okay? Some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, is he 37? No, okay? I'm youthful, all right? I'm a part of this category, okay? I'm spry, okay? I haven't, my ankles don't snap when I walk. It's actually really exciting. Uh, in my time in college ministry, here's what I found. I found that what will take you out of the game, I found what will take you out of following Jesus seriously is usually not that you become the kingpin of organized crime. It could happen to you, some of you, statistically, but it's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. It's unlikely that you're going to get into dealing hard drugs. It's unlikely that you're going to get a life sentence. The thing that will take you out from loving Jesus is moment-by-moment moment concessions and compromise. It's forgetting. It's waking up tomorrow morning and saying, you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather sit there which I've, I've fallen pity to this before, and watch videos on TikTok that read my Bible. It's making concessions on the people you date because you get to 22, 23, 24, and you start getting really lonely. And you're like, yeah, I used to want a man of the cross, but now, like, as long as he has a tattoo, it's enough, okay? 
Some of you guys be like that. Like, trust me, you'll hit 24 and it'll be a tough year. I, I'm not trying to proclaim that on you. I'm just saying. It's in the people you date. It's in how you spend your weekends. It's the moment-by-moment moment compromise and concessions that will make you not finish the race. So unless you get into a habit of remembering your creator daily, unless you get into the habit of having Jesus be on the very forefront of your mind, you will be one of the 90%. So as I was prepping my sermon this week, guys, I just had a bad week. Do you know what I mean? You ever have those where you're like, God, this sucks. Like, this is not even mid. It's low. Like, I had a low week. And I was just discouraged. You know, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. My body's aching. That's not true. I'm young. But it was just a hard week. I was stressed. I was anxious. I really didn't want to. I kind of thought about texting Leo. I was like, should we try a family feud this week <laughs> instead of the sermon? But we don't. We don't do that. That'd be a bad idea. And. As I was just processing kind of my low state, I was just like, you know what would be like a really interesting idea? If I just remembered my creator. I was like, whoa, would that change my life? And it did. So yesterday, I'm sitting in a coffee shop, and I just was like, okay, what if I just applied Ecclesiastes 12 into my life right now? And I just started remembering how kind Jesus has been to me. I just sat there. I was like looking out this window. It's kind of aesthetic at a latte, obviously. And I was just sitting there and be like, man, I remember how alive my soul felt for the first time when I met Jesus. I remember reading the book of John cover to cover for the first time. And it was like life began to make sense that I was made to know Jesus. I remember the ways that he walked with me at 3 a.m. my freshman year, full of shame, numb to my sin as I left my girlfriend's dorm room. I remember how faithful he's been to me. Listen, this is what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean that every single day you're gonna wanna charge the hill and do the next right thing and pursue holiness. We'll talk all about that. Sometimes what it means to be a Christian is just to say, Jesus, I'm weak. I need to remember how kind you've been to me. So here's my invitation. Later in this sermon, we're not gonna end with prayer. We're gonna end with a time of reflection. And my hope is that in that moment, you can remember your creator. Okay, here are three kind of application points for why I think you should remember your creator and why it'll change your life. Reason number one, I've never met anyone who's become accidentally holy. Okay, I've never met someone who just wakes up like, oh man, I'm so holy, okay? <laughs> that would not be holy because that'd be pride. Okay, but you know what I'm saying. No one I've ever met has become accidentally holy. You will become what you behold. If you behold yourself, you'll become self-serving and selfish. If you behold the things of this world, you'll become worldly and full of sin. But if you behold Christ, you'll become holy. So you need to figure out what it looks like for you to spend some time day by day to get on your knees, to get on your face at the foot of your creator and remember how he's changed your life. Number two, if you live a life for forgetfulness, you will live a life worth forgetting. Listen, the easiest thing to do in life is to wake up, go to class, go to lunch, go to class, go to the gym, and go to bed. 
without even thinking about Christ once. And if you do that for a year, and five years, and 10 years, and 50 years, you'll have to look back one day when your body is decaying, when you have days to live, and say, man, I lived a forgetful life. If you spend your days forgetting Christ, you will live a forgetful life. And the third thing is, discipline now will help you avoid disaster later. So here's my encouragement for you. Here are three categories that I think you need to remember your creator in. The first one is your time. Listen, if you're not making time for Jesus, you're not going to become more like him. If you spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week being discipled by the world and two minutes being discipled by Jesus, who are you going to become like? You need to remember him in your time. You need to actually make time. For some of you who've never got into habit of reading your Bible, this week could be the first week. Just open up the book of John and read one chapter. I'm not saying you have to become a scholar tomorrow, okay? Just open up the book of John. Read one chapter per day and just think about it. Like meditate on it. On your way to class, think about what you read and ask Jesus to make himself more evident to you. You will be shocked by how much your life changes when your time is orientated towards Christ. The second disaster I want you to avoid is in how you spend your weekends. 20 years from now, if you keep doing what you're doing right now, medicating the pain of this life at the bottom of a bottle, you will become a high-functioning alcoholic. You will spend the rest of your life looking at a bottle to try to heal the pain of your soul instead of going to Jesus. That disaster will come if the weekends of your life are not categorized by holiness but are categorized by the whole party scene. Listen, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to plead with you. I was hanging out with one of my best friends, Thomas, and he was talking to me about how his older brother just got divorced a month ago. His older brother's not 65. He's not 45. He's not 35. He's 25 years old. And his wife told him, I'm actually not a Christian. I told you I was just because I wanted to be with you. But in all honesty, I want to experience freedom. I want to go date other people. Listen, the decisions you make in your 20s, the decisions you make right now can help you avoid disasters in your life. And the third thing that you need to be careful about and remember your creator in is who you date. Listen, there's two important decisions you're going to make in your life. The first one is following Jesus. That's the most important one, obviously. I'm biased, but you know, that's the one. Follow Jesus. The second most important decision in your life is who you decide to marry. Listen, there will come a point in your life where you start to get really lonely. Your friends start getting married, and then they start popping out kids, and you're like, oh my gosh, what is that? That's... It's a crazy stage of life. I'm in that stage of life. My wife and I are trying to have kids, and everyone's having babies. I'm like, oh, my goodness. There's all the little yous running around every place. So cute. Um, but there will come a point in your life where the pain of loneliness becomes really real. But I want to make this unbelievably clear to you. What is far more painful than loneliness is being married to someone who doesn't love Jesus. Being married to someone where the single most important thing in your life, you can't share. 
who told you they were a Christian, who told you they'd go to church with you, who told maybe even went to salt company with you when you were in college. But at the heart of hearts and at the bottom of their soul, they don't know Christ. That pain is far more painful than loneliness. So consider who you date wisely. This is my last thing I'll say in dating. Juliana really wants me to do a whole sermon on it, and I won't, okay? But here's the last thing I'll say on dating. If someone asks you, does X, Y, Z person love Jesus? And your answer starts with a qualification. Well, I mean, I think there is no gray area in who you date. You have to have precision. So think about who you date. Remember your creator. And it will help you avoid disasters in your life. Okay, so that's part one. I'm going to move to the second one quick because that was kind of a long one. That's part one. The second part is you need to fear and obey him. Look with me to verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every sequel thing, whether good or evil. Okay, some of you guys got way too excited when I said fear God. Okay, chill out. Get a hobby. You know what I mean? Like goodness gracious. That's what we're going to talk about. Some, but most of us are like, man, fear God, that is a foreign concept, right? Well, shouldn't I love God? Shouldn't I follow God but fear God? That seems scary. So tonight I want to teach you the difference between be, having fear of God and being afraid of God. So here's a working definition of fear. Adequately understanding the power of that person or thing. Here's my example. I drive my current dream car. His name's Marty. Yes. He is a 2003 Toyota Matrix. That's right. He's older than some of us in this room. Isn't that crazy? But he's kicking. Okay, he's, got, he's great. I drive Marty. And as you can assume, he's a beast. Okay, he's got like 90 horsepower. It's pretty exciting. He's powerful, right? And if Marty wanted and wasn't an inanimate object, he could hit me and kill me. Okay, he's got a lot of power. I fear Marty, okay, because he's powerful. But I'm not afraid of Marty. Why? because we're best friends, right? I trust Marty, we're homies. I fear him because of his power, but I'm not afraid of him because we're friends. So here's what fearing God has to do with. It has to do with understanding his power, to see his sovereignty, his power, his glory, and to rightly understand that he deserves all of our worship. Listen, I say this because so many churches, in order to water down the gospel, to make it easier to feed on a silver platter, ooh, take it, they have diluted the sovereignty of God. They've reduced God to some side chick that you call when you need something versus the sovereign creator God who owns all of the universe, who owns your life, and he owns the very breath in your lungs. See, the problem with believing in a small God is that ultimately Christianity becomes a B-minus self-help routine. It becomes you go to God when you need your routine to get a little bit better. You go to God when you want a little bit nicer things. Here's what biblical Christianity is. It is that God is the very center of the universe. That he is a holy and sovereign and righteous God that is bigger than any of us can even conceptualize. Listen, so many of you were taught that Christianity was about you. Think about that. Christianity 
Christ. It's about Christ. It's about the God of the universe. The Bible is not about you. It's not some book to read to make yourself feel better. The Bible is all about God. It's his book. It's his world. It's his universe. And some of you need to hear that tonight. You don't fear God enough. Because the way you view God is that he's some type of side chick that you run to when you got problems, not the sovereign creator God who deserves all of your worship, all of your praise, and all of your obedience. The second group of people in this room is people who have been taught to be afraid of God. You were taught that Christianity is all about hell avoidance. So you might even be coming in here to Salt Company tonight, not because you love Jesus, not because you want to worship him, but because you're afraid of him. You fear what he'll do to you if you don't show up to places like this. So what differentiates fear and being afraid? It's simple but profound. It's trust. You can fear someone without being afraid of them if you trust them. And here's the overflow of trust. That's what this passage is saying. It's obedience. Listen, some of you guys look at the Bible and you're like, this is crazy stuff. Some of it is crazy stuff. I'm just going to level with you. Some parts are hard to understand, okay? This is true. But actually the word of God was meant for you to live a flourishing life. And the reason why you don't want to submit to it is not just because you don't want to submit to the Bible. It's because you don't trust God. Obedience is the overflow of trusting God. And here's the second thing I want to say about obedience. Obedience is not optional. Listen, we live in a culture that says, BYO God. Okay, it's like, bring your own God to the party. Whoever wants to try this, it's like the smorgasbord of gods. You're like, I'm a little bit Buddhist in some days, but I actually kind of like the Hinduistic group. And Jesus, like Jesus is great, but like the whole God of the Bible thing, that's a little bit whack. We live in a culture that says you can pick what God you serve. You can pick and you can even manufacture him as if he's some little build-a-bear. Like I build God. You do not build God. You do not write what's true about the universe. You do not determine what you like and don't like about the Bible. If you're a Christian, obedience is not optional. So here's the question for you. If you do not obey, do you trust? Do you trust God? Do you trust him? Or do you build your own way in life? That's the conversation you need to have with God tonight. So herein lies, as we call the worship band back up, herein lies the overview of the conversation we just had. If you want to live a life of wisdom and not wishfulness, then you need to remember your creator because no one becomes holy on accident. If you live a forgetful life, you'll live a life worth forgetting. And dis discipline now will help you avoid disaster later. And the second thing you need is an adequate understanding of what it means to fear God, to see his sovereign power in your life. And what will happen when you fear him is you will obey him. Okay. So as we close out our time together, guys, Ecclesiastes, what a time, huh? What a tough one. Goodness gracious. As we close out our time together, some of you guys just sat through that entire sermon and you're thinking to yourself, okay, what if I can't remember any moments I've had with Jesus. 
some of you guys are thinking to yourself, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of searching my brain back, and it's like, I remember going to church. I remember doing some religious things. I remember my dad telling me that if I just believed, then I'd be okay. But I cannot pinpoint intimate moments with Christ. Here's why you can't remember. Because in order to remember him, you have to know him. And there's some of you in this room who thought Christianity was just about coming to stuff like this. Listen, I'm glad you're here. I'm not trying to dissuade you from coming. I'm just saying, this is not what Christianity is about. It's not coming here to sing some worship songs. It's not coming here to listen to some Bible preaching. It is meeting and encountering the real living God. The reason why you can't remember God. Moments with your creator is because you don't know him yet. And for a lot of you in this room, this might be a trajectory setting moment where you'll look back on this night 40 years from now and you'll remember the way your creator came and got you. So as we enter into a time of reflection, my invitation for you is to remember him. And if you don't remember him, it's because you don't know him. But here's the good news of the gospel. The simplest way I can explain Christianity is that Jesus died and rose again so that you could know God. You could intimately know Jesus. You can leave this place with an understanding of the holy and righteous King who wants relationship with you. You can look him into the eyes on the cross and you can know him. And the invitation for you tonight is to enter into relationship with him and then to remember him forever. And for the second crew that's here and you've met Jesus, Maybe, I don't know what you're coming in with, some sin on your heart, some shame in your store, whatever it is, heaviness in your life. Here's my invitation for you. Remember, remember the kindness of Jesus in your life. So in the next few moments, we're gonna reflect. I wanna invite you to put your hands out if you want to, if you wanna get on your knees and reflect, whatever you wanna do. I want you to spend a couple minutes just reflecting of the ways that Jesus has been kind to you. And for some of you in this room, I pray that you would meet him tonight. Let's spend a couple minutes reflecting on the goodness of God.